Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. If you could do one thing to fix the world, what would it be? I mean, just think about that. Just really put that one in your mind. If you could fix the world, if it was your decision on how to make the world a perfect place, how would you do it? It's a question that philosophers and thinkers all across the world for all of time have thought about. Why? Because we all recognize that the world is broken. I mean, who doesn't recognize that? And on a very basic physical level, we recognize our bodies are broken. A, a few weeks back, I was walking my dog, Hank, and I caught my foot under a piece of barbed wire, and I did a 90-degree flop on my face, and I cracked a rib or some cartilage or something, and, and it just this week felt 100% recovered, and that was about four weeks ago. You know, our bodies are broken. We have cancer. We have diseases. We have this COVID thing going around, right? Our own minds are broken. We suffer from depression, anxiety, anger, or other sorts of mental health adverse effects. What about society? Society is broken, right? Wars and fighting and conflict and all the bad things that happen all over the world, we see and we recognize that these are bad things. And so the question comes, how do we fix it? And so I'm going to preach to you this morning a relatively short one-point sermon. Maybe a Christmas gift for some of you that want a one-point short sermon. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. If you get nothing else out of Christmas, that's the nugget. That's the core. That's the one-point sermon. He, that is Jesus, will save his people from their sins. You see... In order for that to mean anything, we have to roll back to the question I started with. How do we fix the world? Recognizing that the world is broken, that's well and good. Anybody can do that. But how do we fix it? Jean-Jacques Rousseau, okay, follow me. We're going to get a little philosophical here was a French philosopher. He was kind of a dandy, a party boy. He wrote uh, operas that held court in France. He was one of those powdered wigs and, and white powder on his face and tight pants and roughly shirt kind of guys. And uh, he kind of got around with the women. That was the sort of character that he was. He was a philosopher, and he wrote a book called A Meal, which was groundbreaking because the point of the book about 300, 400 years ago was that Mankind was not really bad, but that society made people bad. In other words, everybody's just good. 
by nature, but it's other people that make us bad, or governments or societies that make us all bad. And, and if we could just take a boy named Emil and stick him out in the woods and not let him have any contact with society, he would learn philosophy and he would learn all the goodness of the world and he would never have anything bad in his mind as long as he avoided other people. Out of that idea sprang all sorts of philosophies about how to make people good. And since that time, uh, Rousseau influenced the cultural revolution known as the Enlightenment in Europe. And out of the Enlightenment would come this idea that if we could just affect the right kind of societal change, then we could somehow make everything good and glorious and copacetic and fine and people would get along. What is the tangible result of that thinking? Well, what has happened is governments and organizations from time to time have identified this or that group as being the problem and then set about eradicating that group in order to create a perfect society. And so to get rid of evil in the world during the French Revolution, what did they say? Off with their heads. The guillotine was used widely in order to kill all those bad people that were rich and were destroying society. Or maybe you can think of the Marxist revolutions that have occurred in, in, uh, from country to country, whether it be China or in Russia, in other parts of the world where dissidents and those that were evil were recognized as the problem and were either put in prison or exiled or killed. You can go to Pol Pot's regime where anybody that wore glasses was identified as being one of those Westerners and would have been killed because they were too uppity or too smart to be kept in society. Why? Because they thought that if we could just make a perfect society, we could fix the world. Maybe that's your temptation when you think of how to fix what's broken in the world, is to think those people. If I could just fix them, then the world would be great. Society would be perfect. Another temptation that might arise is that we think, well, the problem is, is sin, so maybe God should just get rid of sin. Sin being recognized as that which is disobeying God or going against God's law. So if we could just get rid of sin, we'd be fine. Well, there is a way to get rid of sin. In Isaiah chapter 24... God addresses the brokenness of the world. He says, the earth mourns, this starts in verse 4, and withers, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and the inhabitants of the earth are scorched. So to get rid of sin, you just got to get rid of everybody. That is an option now, isn't it? You can't have a broken society or broken people if there are no people. And so there's movements afoot even today saying the population is too high. We need to get rid of people. If only we could have fewer people, we would be fine. If only we could get rid of everybody. We have a little visitor with us, Apollo. He wants to come up here and preach with me. Maybe I'll have him help me light the candles in a little bit. I think that'd be fun. But the problem with all of these thoughts 
is that they do not recognize the fundamental, the root, the core issue, which is, as Vaclav Havel wrote, the thin line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every man. The thin line between good and evil cuts through the heart of every man. Or as Paul would put it, there is no one righteous, not even one. Or G.K. Chesterton, when responding to a a newspaper article, I've said this before in a sermon, the the prompt for the newspaper essay contest was, what's wrong with the world today? And Chesterton wrote, dear sirs, I am, respectfully, G.K. Chesterton. In other words, what's wrong with the world resides in the core of each human heart. When we think about our lives, we start running down the pathway. Well, if this person would just do what I want, and that person would just do what I want, these people would just listen to me, this society would be better, everything would be golden, everything would be good. The further we travel down that pathway, the more lies that we begin to believe about ourselves and about other people. Lies like, I can fix myself. I can fix other people. Other people can get it together. I can get it together. If I just try harder, my life will be absolutely better in all areas. And we get frustrated. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why people are so anxious and depressed today is because of the huge expectations we layer on ourselves to achieve perfection or even be fundamentally good when it's impossible to do that on our own. And so we mess up, and when we mess up, we just go back to ourselves and beat ourselves up and say, you fool, what's wrong with you? You're horrible. Why can't you get this right? The simple truth of Christmas is back in Matthew 121. You shall name him Jesus. Jesus is a word that means the Lord saves for he shall save people from their sins. Which brings me to the second question that I have today. Why did we need Christmas? You ever think about that question? Why didn't God just say, all right, sins are gone, boop, gone, taken care of? Why didn't, why didn't God just, you know, make everybody's heart better, like 50% better, 70% better, 10% better? And surely we'd have a better world. Why indeed? It's a good question if you think about it. Because sin itself is a power that resides in the world. Sin itself is a a force that's both inside of each of our hearts and also outside of each of our hearts. The first picture that we have of sin is actually when the children of Adam and Eve are angry with one another, or at least one is angry with the other. Cain is angry with Abel, and God shows up to Cain and says, sin is crouching at your door, ready to overtake you, like a lion waiting there, predatorily ready to attack. Sin is crouching at your door. So if we want to get rid of sin in all its entirety, We would have to have a power sufficient to wipe away all sin. But if we were to have a power that was sufficient to wipe away all sin, as we previously mentioned, we would simply wipe away all of mankind. 
Because it's mankind that has sin both within us and outside of us ready to overtake us. So a man alone can't do it. Only God can. Which brings us to Christmas. You see, what was born on Christmas Day, what we celebrate, the reason why we have all the candles and the nativity scenes and why the shepherds praised the Lord and the angels showed up at night and the wise men came from afar, is because Jesus was not just a very, very good man. He did not just show up to say, aha, we can overcome sin if we just do what I say. As a matter of fact, Jesus was both God and man, or God made flesh. It's such an intense thought to have that a being could be both fully God and fully man. So uh, intense and difficult was this thought that the early Christians would wrestle with how that could be. How could it be that God could be a man? They had to come up with a word for it. The hypostatic union. Say that word on Christmas Day. Happy hypostatic union day. But that's the only way that we could overcome sin. You see, none of us had the capacity because of that thin line in our heart. We can't create ourselves to be better. And because societies just trend towards corruption and to try to get rid of evil in society just leads to mass murder and even more corruption. What had to happen is God himself took on human flesh in order to live that perfect life and then take on sin. Take on sin, not commit sin, but take on sin, on himself. You see, to think of Christmas is to think also of the cross. And what happens on the cross? Jesus takes sin on himself without ever having done anything wrong in his life so that it would die. And so when Jesus died, sin died with him, and the doorway was opened to an actual freedom from sin. Not just a pretend freedom from sin like we try to create in our societies and in our groups. Not just a, a, a lied type of freedom from sin where we think in our hearts, I'm going to do better today, kind of a naive assumption that I can do it from day to day but an actual freedom from sin where sin is dead in you if you welcome Christ into your life. That's why Paul would say in Romans that we have freedom from sin, that once you were slaves to sin, but now you've been freed from sin in Romans chapter 6, and therefore you are a slave to righteousness or to justice. Because sin died. The power itself died. That crouching evil at the door that Cain succumbed to in killing his brother still crouches there. The power is there. It's right there. But it has no power over you. We couldn't do that ourselves. We couldn't effect that change in ourselves. We can't just will our way into sinlessness. Which is why the angel said, he will save people 
from their sin. So where does that leave us Christmas season? Well, we go to the Advent calendar, and we go to the candles. Some of you have been doing the Advent calendar, and you've made that a tradition. There was a great article in, of all places, the Washington Post today that talked about how more and more believers are turning away from the kind of loud, colorful lights of Christmas to the candles and to the calendar. Why? Because they remind us that a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the light of hope and understanding that Jesus is the hope of the world. The second Sunday, we lit the light of expectation that we expect Jesus as our Savior now, just as they expected him as their Savior then in a time of darkness, just as we expect that he will come again as a conquering king. Last Sunday, Pastor Derek taught us about that expectation and how it leads us to a place of joy in our lives. And so we light the joy candle. But this Sunday leads us to a very, very special place, which is the final question I'll ask. So I've got three questions. How would you fix the world? Why did Jesus have to come? And the last one is, why on earth would God do that in the first place? Why would God care about our sins? Have you ever had an ant colony? You remember they used to sell those? I don't know if they still do. You'd have an ant colony in the glass pane, and you could look in there, and the ants would mess around and do stuff. And every once in a while, ants will just kind of fight each other or disagree with the queen or just get sick and die. And when you have that ant colony and it would go south, I don't know as many of you lost a night of sleep over it. Instead, what happened is the ants went out in the trash and you called it a day. Why on earth would God, the creator of the universe, who's existed for all time and space, who's infinite in power and majesty, care one ounce about your sins? Why would he do anything? Why would Jesus go to the cross? Why Christmas? Why all this hope and expectation and joy? It shouldn't exist. We have no right to it. Because we are so broken, we have no right to this kind of hope. Why? Love. That's the only word that answers that question. Is love. We're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so what the world? He loved the world. You know, I have a dog. Worst decision. They just eat up all your money and all your time and their hair gets everywhere. And yet... I love that animal. And so when he gets hurt, I'm going to take him to the vet and I'm going to help take care of him. And I spent way too much money building an eight-foot fence because he can jump a six-foot fence, which was the first fence that we had. So we had to tear down a perfectly good fence and build another one. Or what about children? I mean, at least they look like us. They came from us. We have a proclivity towards children. And so we take care of them and we love them and, and we try to make sure they're safe and, and well and, and we fight for them and we want the best for them. But God loved us infinitely more than we could ever love anything in this life. Why? Because Jesus... God made flesh in the hypostatic union is his son. 
with whom he has had a perfect relationship since time itself began. But his love for us was so great for us that it, I don't know, took precedence over or combined with his love for his son because his son so loved us that he would send that son to live that perfect life on Christmas and then in the years thereafter for 33 years and then go to the cross and die. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So why did God do it? Love for you. You see, you are so broken. And our world is so broken. And God can't fix that without getting rid of the curse. And the curse lives inside every single one of us. So the only way God could get rid of it is by killing man. But in order to do that without killing all of us, he had to kill his own son. His wrath, his anger, his holiness, his perfections were all poured out on his own son instead of on all of us. So God answered the first question. How would you fix the world? By sacrificing that which I love the most. And he answered the second question. Well, why Christmas? Because it was the only way to love us and get rid of evil. And the final question is because God says to each of us, I love you. I love you. And so that's our simple sermon today. You shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. The final question, and really the one that matters this Christmas, is how do we respond? We've built up a lot of kind of outer shell around Christmas. Some might call it fluff. Things that we do to feel good. But let me tell you, the people that put up their lights in November in order to feel good are realizing that those lights really weren't enough to get you through this season. I mean, after the 30th day of seeing the same lights in your neighborhood, I'm imagining all of us were like, yeah, that really didn't fix the problems in my life right now. That nativity scene over there, that really didn't do it. Like, I might feel better for five minutes. Even Tanglewood lights could not overwhelm COVID 2020 year. Couldn't fix what was wrong in the world. Could barely make me feel better for five minutes. So how do we respond this Christmas? We go to Jesus. If you've never accepted him, if you that are watching online have never said, yes, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. If you've never taken that brokenness and laid it out before him and said, this is all of me and it's all miserable and it's all broken, fix it. Maybe you need to catch wind of that love that's waiting there for you. Maybe you need to recognize 
that when John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, you could actually put your name there. For God so loved Ben Marsh, he gave his only son. That whoever, and if I believe in him, I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. That when the angel announced to Joseph, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save Ben Marsh for his sins. You can put your name there too. But how does it begin? How do we get there? We start with the end of the sentence. Sin. This Christmas, I encourage you to give a present to yourself. Write down everything evil that you have ever done and every wrong that you have ever committed and everything that you hate about yourself. Write it down. And then in prayer, plead the blood of Jesus over every single thing that you write down. And recognize that you don't have to do that or be that anymore because Jesus is enough for all of it. He took all of it onto the cross. It died with him there. And when he came back from the dead on Easter, and I know I'm skipping ahead four months, but when he came back on Easter, he didn't bring it back and give it back to you. He kept all of those sins and brought them with him down into hell. And came back to live inside of your heart a new life without any of that. So give yourself a gift this Christmas. Write it all down. We call that, the old word would be confessing and repenting. Write it all down. And then plead the blood of Jesus over it. Pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then take that pile and don't throw it away. You know, when I was a teenager, we used to have these sin burnings where we'd have a, 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 a wood fire and we'd write down our sins and we'd toss them in and we'd be like, ha they burn up. Instead, write down next to them all that God wants you to be through his Holy Spirit working in you. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And write down the gifts that God has given you that you believe he wants you to use for his kingdom. Write down the names of people that you want to love and, and share love with and go out and find that need to know that they are loved. Don't just throw that list away because you're going to go back to those things every once in a while. You're going to remember the things about yourself that you hate. You're going to go back to some of those sins. Even if you've given them, you're going to desire them from time to time because our bodies, our flesh is weak. So keep that list. And when you do that thing or when you're tempted to do that thing, get that list back out and remember what God has given you by his love. And maybe you got to add to that list later. Or maybe you take that list and, and you write next to it some verses about yourself that are true in Scripture. And then you remind yourself when you do this, this is what's actually true about me. I am God's chosen people. I'm part of God's royal priesthood. 
I am a son or a daughter of Jesus himself. I will reign forever in heaven. Heaven will have no tears, no anger, no sorrow. I am free to love other people because God has first loved me. I am free to seek justice and righteousness in my life because Jesus lives in me. And if I fail, Jesus still lives in me. My broken body is just an earthen vessel, a, a, a cup of clay for the love that he pours into me for now and will eventually go away and be replaced with a perfect body. I can forgive other people when they make me angry or they hurt me because Jesus has forgiven me through his blood. All these truths and write them down and add to them and keep that list as your present from here on out. A record, a written record of where you have seen God take you from and take you to because of his love. In the words of a more immediate philosopher, in this way, spiritually treat yourself. If you know that reference, that's good. I won't explain it to the rest of you. Treat yourself to divine knowledge from God himself this Christmas season. That they named him Jesus because he has saved you from your sin. Let's pray. Lord God, as the musicians come back up on the stage, they have a simple song of response for us that contains incredible truth. That we don't celebrate Christmas because we are perfect, but rather because we are imperfect. That we don't sing joy to the world because we have created the joy out of our perfect situations. That it is not up to us to save the world from its sins, because every time we try, we just hurt the world more, it seems. But rather, it is you, Lord Jesus, that we look to in this Christmas season. And we hand to you all of our evil and brokenness and unfaithfulness. Knowing full well that your love overwhelms all of it. If we would just let you, if we would just let you overwhelm us with your love. If we would stop clinging to our ways and to our sins and turn away from them that you want, you eagerly desire to show us your love. Let that be the gift that we receive this Christmas. Amen.